considering that our outreach is coming up next week, I thought that it would be a good time to do a message on evangelism. Um, But I want to give a little background details for myself before I start preaching to all of you on evangelism. And that is that um, if you looked at my life, I would not be what you consider the strongest evangelist. Okay, I'm not coming here as someone who has figured evangelism out. I'm I'm out there just doing it exactly as we're supposed to do it. I'm I'm coming here as someone who, over this past year especially, uh, the Lord has shown, you're not doing this the way I've called you to, and and you need to be. And so I've been on a journey this last year of of seeking the scriptures, seeking what's keeping me from sharing the gospel like Christ has commissioned me to. Um, What do I need to learn? How do I need to grow? What do I need to change about my life so that I can do this? And along the way, I've found some different reasons why I was not being active in evangelism, and I think that all of you in some way or another will identify with these reasons, okay? So there's four needs that I think we have and there might vary. Some of you might have more in one of these, but we all have some of these needs that will make us more effective in evangelism. Now, the first is just understanding. Um, I found that one reason why I wasn't uh, sharing the gospel is because I, I didn't understand the gospel like I needed to. Um, especially, I'm thinking back to high school and early college days where new evangelism was a task I was supposed to do along with Bible reading and prayer and going to church and, and being a good person and not being a bad person. You know, evangelism is in there, right? And so I knew it was a good thing to do, but I, I didn't understand the centrality of the gospel. I didn't love the gospel. I wasn't excited about the gospel. The gospel is just what got me into the Christian life, Right? Now, I began to realize through the uh, Lord's work, through different pastors and messages I heard in my uh, first several years of college, that the gospel is not what gets you into Christianity. The gospel is Christianity. Jesus is everything that we believe. Jesus is everything that our lives are centered around. The fact that, that we were sinners under the wrath of God and that, and that God came and rescued us through Christ means everything to our lives now. Right. And even more, each day, Christ didn't just save us to get in. Each day, um, to, to live for Christ requires it. It necessitates seeing the glory of Christ, which is most clearly revealed in the gospel. There's nowhere else to look to see God's glory so clearly as Jesus Christ crucified for us. We might want a vision like a, you know, Mount Sinai, thundercloud, but that's not going to be as good as the gospel. That's not going to be as clear as the gospel. We might want um, to look and, and see some type of exciting experience. Maybe, maybe in kind of church and something crazy happens and we're all Going crazy, you know, those types of things that, that you kind of hope for in your, in your flesh aren't as good as just reading the gospel and seeing God's glory with spiritual eyes in Scripture. All that to say, understanding is needed for effective evangelism. If you're, not, if you're not excited about the gospel, you don't love the gospel, why would you share the gospel? And how effective are you going to be in sharing the gospel when you try if you're not personally excited about the gospel and you love the gospel? Okay, so some of us and some of you this morning, you need to understand the gospel more. The, the main reason why you're not evangelizing is, is simply because it hasn't worked its way into your heart yet. The gospel hasn't worked its way down deep into your heart where it shapes you and motivates you and becomes the center place of your life. So I'd encourage you today as the, in this sermon to, to hear the gospel, to listen for the gospel, to think about the gospel, and to ask God to shape your heart in such a way that, that your motivation and your love is to share the gospel. Now, once God started showing me that, um, I thought, okay, well, well, I see that now, and I'm going to go share. And I found another hindrance, which was um, my need for wisdom, my need for practical how-to wisdom. I, I wanted to share the gospel. I knew I, sh- I should share the gospel. I knew why I should share the gospel, because, because Christ has shown me his glory. But when it came to actually, what, what do I do? I mean, how do I, I don't know any unbelievers. I, when, I, when I go up to them, how do I get into conversations about this? It, it just seemed so awkward, and it seemed hard. And it just seemed like I was in this bubble that I couldn't break out of, surrounded by the church and around Christians. But how, do, how was I supposed to do this? You know? and, and so the Lord started showing me several passages throughout Scripture. One of them we're going to look at today that just have loads of wisdom for believers for how we should go about sharing the gospel, how we go about interacting with the world. We're going to look at some of these today, but some of you today need wisdom. You want to share the gospel. You, you do love the gospel. You, you see the glory of Christ, but... You're in a Christian bubble, and you don't know how to break out of it, and you don't know what to do once you break out of it. And so you're not sharing the gospel simply because you need practical wisdom for what does that look like? How do I do that? Now, some of you I know are sharing the gospel. I hear stories about, about you sharing the gospel and, and being faithful. And I think that you this morning just need encouragement. 
You need encouragement that God does have people that he is going to save, that he does want to use you to save those people. And so you just need to, to, to be reminded this morning that God is powerful, God is sovereign, he has a work that he's doing, and he wants to use you. You need to be encouraged to be patient, to be resolved, and, and, to, and to bear up under the time that it seems like your, your message is falling on deaf ears, knowing that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So some of you just need encouragement. And finally, all of us probably in some way need repentance this morning. Here's what I finally came to this past year. I had the understanding of what the gospel is, grew my love for the gospel. I had learned practical wisdom for here's, here's things that scripture guides us to do to actually go share the gospel. And then I looked at my life and I just realized I wasn't doing it. I wasn't doing it. And why? Because I was being disobedient. Because I was disobeying the clear commission to go and make disciples. I mean, if there's one clear command in the New Testament, it's that, right? Go and make disciples. Be a witness. And I just wasn't doing it. And so this past year has been a process of repentance for me, a process of, of walking away from someone that, that kept the gospel to myself and hoarded it to, to trying to figure out and, and asking God, lead me to the lost, show me open doors, guide me in wisdom, give me the motivation to share the gospel so that I can be obedient and faithful to Christ's commission. And some of you this morning need repentance. Some of you, if you look at your life, and I just challenge you right now, look at your life and ask, how often am I sharing the gospel? What am I doing to get the gospel to unbelievers? When's the last time I shared the gospel? Is it consistent? Would I say that that is a part of my normal life, a daily routine? A week, a not, maybe not daily, but frequent, consistent. Is that happening? Because if it's not, then, then at some level you're disobeying. And this sermon needs to be a call to repentance for you. And so ask the Holy Spirit to expose that, to convict it, and to lead us as a church in repentance. Now, the text we're looking at, I believe, has the ability to address every one of those needs, and probably more than I'm not naming. I think this text has the ability to move us together as a church toward greater faithfulness in our witness and sharing the gospel. And so, uh, with no further ado, the text is Acts 8, uh, verses 26 through 40. Acts 8, verses 26 through 40. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to go through this text bit by bit and just, and just look at the story. This, this text is a story, and it's exciting, and every time I read it, I, I am amazed at what God does here. And so we're just going to go bit by, bit by bit and just look at the story. We're not going to make points yet. We're not going to do applications yet. You might find some here and there, but we're just going to look at the story and just together be um, amazed at what God does here, okay? So we're going to start the story in verse 26, going through 28. The, the scripture says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Okay, so Philip is um, he's been in Samaria, okay? And, and, and chapter 8, just before this records his, ministry, his public ministry in Samaria where it says that he was healing people, demons were being cast out, people were coming to Christ, he was baptizing people. There's this huge revival going on in Samaria. The, the apostles came and joined him and, and, and they um, gave the, laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit, just had this amazing ministry going on in Samaria. For all we know, it could have continued he could have just continued going through Samaria and seeing this happen, but, but God has another plan for him. And so an angel appears to Philip, and he says to him, rise up and go toward the south on this specific road. Okay, so in, we, don't, we don't know this road. We, we're not familiar with uh, Israel geography, right? But if this was in central Alabama, north central Alabama, he'd say, go to I-65 and head south, you know, and somewhere along Montgomery or something, I'm going to do something, okay? So that's, that's as specific as it is, okay? It's a specific location. He's saying, go there, you know? So what does Philip do? He, he rises and he goes. It says, rise and go, and he says he rose and went. So Philip obeys the command, and, and as he's going, a chariot comes along, okay? And this chariot, uh, Luke is a very descriptive detail of what, who was in this chariot. It says, there was an Ethiopian in there. Now, Ethiopia was um, basically the ends of the earth for 
of that day and age. You, you couldn't go further than Ethiopia. There are documents that say that Ethiopia is where the edge of the earth was, you know, and so, so if you go further, you're, you fall off, right? That's, that's where this guy is. He's, he's from Ethiopia. It also tells us he's a eunuch, okay? So he was a court official of the queen, and that's probably why he was a eunuch. That was a custom they had, but, but something interesting about a eunuch is that in Deuteronomy um, chapter 23, there is a law that says eunuchs cannot join the assembly of Israel for worship. They, they had restrictions on, on how they could come and worship. And so, so Luke details that, okay? He's an Ethiopian. He's a eunuch. Like I said, he was a court official of Queen Candace, right? It's my wife. <laughs> court official of Queen Candace of the Ethiopians. And so he, he, is, he is high ranking in society. In fact, he, he's not just a, a guy that stands around on guard. He is in charge of all her treasure. So, and, and this guy, obviously, is pretty wealthy himself. I mean, he owns his own chariot, and he also has his own copy of the book of Isaiah, which, which was not common back then to have your own copies of biblical books, right? So this guy's pretty wealthy. He's got high standing. He's from, from a foreign country, and it says that he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. For some reason, he, he, he was, I don't know if he was a um, diaspora Jew, someone who, who, who was Jewish but lived in Ethiopia, or if he was a Gentile. The text doesn't tell us that. He obviously was an Ethiopian. That, that, that's the way he lived. And, and he felt that he needed to come to Jerusalem to worship for one of their feasts and festivals. And so he makes that long journey to Jerusalem to worship. He takes part in whatever festival it was. And then it says he was returning, seated in his chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah. So apparently, whatever he was looking for when he came to worship in Jerusalem, he wasn't satisfied yet. He's returning and, and, he's, and he's pouring over the scripture. He's looking into the text. He's wondering what's going on. So, so this is the picture of the Ethiopian that we see, and this is exactly who God, by an angel, led Philip to go to. Left Samaria, left, left that amazing, fruitful, awesome ministry opportunity in Samaria to go to this one person. Okay, that, that's how God is working here. Now the story continues in verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Let's pause there. So Philip's on the road. He's in the spot the angel told him to go to, and he sees this chariot coming his way. It's probably an intimidating thing for Philip, by the way. It's probably not just easy to go up to this chariot and, and start talking to him, right? But, but the Spirit says, go up to it. And so, you know, I'm guessing the chariot's, by the time he sees it, it's going past him, so he's running for it, right? He's running to catch up with the chariot, and as he's running, he hears him reading, and he, he, hears, he recognizes the text. It's Isaiah. It's the prophet Isaiah. And so he stops the chariot, and he asks, he asks the eunuch, do you understand that? Does what you're reading make sense to you? Do you get what that's saying? And, and, you know, normally I would think that if someone, you know, on a bus in Chicago, I was reading something, they asked me, do you understand what you're reading? I would kind of be offended by that. You know, I'd say, yeah, I understand. You know, even if it, I didn't, you know, I just want to, I would want to, you know, save face and say, I understand this. I'm, I'm a good reader, you know, but, but this guy does exactly the opposite. He says, how can I understand this unless someone guides me? And then I was picturing him, you know, saying, hmm, who could guide me? You, you look like you could guide me. Come on up here, you know? And so he invites Philip to come up and sit with them. And, and so Philip, is, you just get this picture. Philip is in this chariot with this Ethiopian, you know, this high-ranking Ethiopian going back with, with all his horses and chariots around him probably, and, and he's sitting in there with them, and I've got Isaiah open. Okay, two guys with their Bibles open is what we got there. And... The passage of scripture, I don't think Philip could have been any more excited once he realized exactly what passage he was reading. Yeah. Now, every text in scripture makes a road to the gospel, but this is a really easy, smooth road that was there, okay? <laughs> Isaiah 53 is the most 
it's, it's the most gospel-centered, clear gospel text in all the Old Testament, which was the only Bible they had at this time. Okay, this, this was John 3.16, okay, for them. And so, so he's reading Isaiah 53, and, and then to put the cherry on top of the fact that that's what he's reading, the eunuch asks him, was the prophet talking about himself or about someone else? And, of course, Philip just goes, someone else, you know, it's someone else. And so he says he opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I mean, it's just everything set up for him, right? And he, and he just takes each little bit of that opportunity as it comes and eventually gets to share the gospel with them. Now, the story continues in verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? In verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, I just need to ask, um, how many of your translations have a verse 37 in there? Some of you? Okay, mine has verse 37 as a subscript. Here's what's going on with that. I didn't just skip the Bible, hopefully. But verse 37, the subscript says in my Bible, And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So what's going on is that what was probably going on, that verse could be original, and if it is, that's a good verse, right? We, we agree that that is prerequisite to baptism, to believe, to put your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. So, so the content of that is true. What's, what's probably going on is that um, it was added later by um, a scribe who looked at this and was worried that someone might think that baptism would, would save this guy, that, that he didn't need to have faith, that he just had baptism. And so they added this verse in later, probably just to smooth that possible interpretive difficulty there. But the, the thing is, even without verse 37, um, if, an, if you understand baptism in Scripture, there's no problem here. Um, in Scripture, baptism was the first thing you did when you became a Christian. Baptism was the expression that I am declaring I have faith in Jesus Christ. Right. Now, we don't, know, we don't know what exactly Philip said when he told him the good news, but we can presume from this that Philip told him who Jesus was. He told him what Jesus did. He told him that you had to have faith in what Jesus did, and then he said that if you believe and you repent, then you should be baptized. And everything that we know about this story, everything we can presume from here, means that the eunuch heard that and he believed it, and he wanted to be baptized. He was ready for baptism now, and then there's water, and he says, let's do it. Let's come baptize me right now. And so they do, and he's, so he's baptized, and he, just, he makes this public profession, this, this commitment that he is united with Christ, that he has seen his life as belonging to Christ, as, as, as being wrapped up in Christ's death and resurrection. Okay, so, so this baptism, we can read this and say, this baptism shows that the eunuch came to faith. The eunuch came to believe in Jesus Christ. And then verse 39 and 40 end the story. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Okay, so here the, the eunuch and the Ethiopian, or the, the Ethiopian and Philip finally part. Okay, so, so they come up from the water, and, and what seems to be nothing less than a miraculous transport. Okay, we don't know exactly what happened here, but it says that the Spirit carried Philip away, and he found himself in a town called Azotus. Okay, so we don't know what happened, but we know that happened, that, that somehow Philip went from being here with the eunuch on this road to being in Azotus. And what does Philip do? He, he doesn't just wait for the next angel, right? He doesn't just wait to, to know, where should I go to that road next, to this road? He, he says, well, here I am. I guess I'll start preaching the gospel. <laughs> and so he starts preaching the gospel all the way to Caesarea. And then um, what does the eunuch do? I mean, you think that would kind of freak him out a little bit, you know, to come out of the water and just see <laughs> this guy, he's gone, right? But he, it's not, it doesn't phase him, you know? I mean, he was just saved and it's awesome. And so he just goes down to the way rejoicing, just keeps going to Ethiopia. And the tradition is that, you know, we don't really know this, but there's tradition that writes that he went to Ethiopia and he shared the gospel. There's no reason to think that he didn't do that, right? So two guys, God brings them together to meet. Uh, he prepares the way perfectly for this gospel conversation to happen, uh, that he's baptized, and then they go, both go away, enjoy preaching the gospel. The end. Okay, that's the story. Why did God give us this story? And why, why is this story in our Bibles, okay? Because my initial response when I read this is a couple things. One, that's awesome, 
<laughs> you know, that is, that's really cool that that happened, that God can do that, but that's never going to happen to me. I mean, that, that's crazy, you know, and I, and I just think that that's really cool, that, but, but I'm not going to be transported, an angel's not going to come to me, and I, and I kind of wish he did, right? I mean, wouldn't it be easy if this was how it always went when we went to evangelize? I mean, I wake up in the morning, I, I pray to God, you know, show me where I should go today, Starbucks, 415, you know? <laughs> The guy in the, uh, what's it called, fedora, yeah, okay. So I go to Starbucks at 415, see the guy in the fedora, and I go up to him, you know, and, and he just so happens to be reading John 3.16 or Isaiah 53, and, and so I just say, what are you reading, and do you understand that? And he says, I don't understand this. Looks like you would, you know, and so help me out, right? Just, just Can you show me what this means? And so then we just go through the scripture, and he says, yeah, I believe that. That, that's right. I, that, I believe, let's get baptized. And then, you know, we, we go out back wherever Starbucks might have a baptism spot. We'll be baptized, you know. And, and then I get carried away. And he goes away to rejoice. And that's every day, right? I mean, that would be so easy. And, and actually, God could do that. I mean, God could do that if he wanted to. That, that could be his way of sharing the gospel. But he didn't give us a story to make us look for those types of days, okay? He didn't give us a story so that we would wait for that angel to come to us and so that we would have these um, clear divine appointments like that. I believe that God gave us a story. He included the story to show us that he is a God who is, who is personally active in every individual salvation. He, he is a God who, is, who cares about every single time someone is saved, and he's active in that. And to show us that we have a part in that. That he wants us to be his co-workers in that. That God, God himself is advancing the gospel. God's the one doing it. And that he's inviting us in. He's inviting us all in. That's why the story is here. Now, for the rest of the time today, um, it's going to be a little different. But instead of, instead of giving just three points that build on each other and lead to an epic conclusion, right? We're going to just do ten principles. Ten principles from the story. We're going to hit them fast. Okay, we're going to go back through the story. We're going to, we're going to see the principle. We're going to um, look at it for our, our own lives. We're going to apply it, and then we're going to go to the next one. Okay, now all, these principles don't all hang together even. Some of them might, just might kind of be a good isolated principle about evangelism, but all of them, I think, can serve to encourage us in sharing the faith, work to encourage us in, in being obedient to sharing the gospel, encourage us about what God is doing, and, and so I would encourage you as you hear these principles, write them down, but, but don't try to take all ten and to um, figure out how you can do all ten of these necessarily. I mean, you can if you want. That'd be great. But I would encourage you just to, to find the one or two or three of them that, that the Lord speaks to you about, that, that you know that's, that's an area that I need to grow in. That's an area that I, that I need to hear today. And to look at that principle and to, and to see to apply that specific principle. All right? So we're going to go back through this text, just, just chronologically through the verses, and here's the first principle that this text shows us. Obedience precedes opportunities. Amen. Obedience precedes opportunities. We see this in verses 26 through 30. Verse 26, um, we see the angel, angel of the Lord comes, and he says, rise up and go to this place. And, and what does Philip do? He rises up and he goes to that place, right? Just clear as day. Philip obeys the command. And you, I mean, you might think that that's easy. You know, I mean, if an angel appeared to me, I would rise up and go as well, right? And if you think that, like, that'd be easy then, right? But, but the thing is, we have God's word, and we have Christ himself, not an angel that serves Christ, telling us to go and to make disciples. And so if we're not obeying that command, there's no reason to think that if an angel came to us, we would obey that command either. This is actually more sure than an angel, okay? So we have the same command to rise up and go. And then again, down in the text, the Spirit said to Philip, verse 29, go and join this chariot. And what does Philip do? He just runs to the chariot and he goes. Philip is, is ready to obey. And what does it lead to? At least an opportunity to share the gospel. If Philip didn't rise up and go, and if he didn't run after that chariot, this conversation never would have happened. I believe God would have saved this Ethiopian, but Philip would not have been involved. It's not really a matter of if God's going to save someone. He's going to save who he's going to save, but he's inviting us in. He's, he's saying, join me. I want, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to know what it's like to be a part of my mission in all of history to save people for myself, to save people for my glory. And so he's inviting them in. Now, I've experienced a little bit of this obedience precedes opportunities as a window washer. Okay, I mean, 
Um, I wash windows in Oxford and Aniston, and, and to get any customers, I, I can't just get my squeegee and start washing, right? I've got to ask them. You know, I've, I've got to go up to them. Even, sometimes even if there's a no soliciting sign, I just, we'll try it, you know? And so I, and a lot of them actually want it. But, you know, I have to go out and I have to actually ask people, do you need a window washer? Do you, you know, and let's talk about this. And I, and I have to do the work of soliciting before I can start washing it all, okay? And a lot of them don't want window washing. You know, they don't need it, and, and so I have to deal with them saying no, but some of them do, and, and then I get my customers. That's how it works, right? You've got to just go out there and, and start asking before you get any opportunities to actually do what you're doing, right? It's the same exact principle here. With, we need to be people that's going. Why, why are we waiting for opportunities to share the gospel if we're not going to the lost, if we're not finding ways to get involved with lost people. I mean, God might transport us somewhere and, and do something amazing like this, but in the general day-to-day life, if we aren't going to the lost, if we aren't obeying that command, then we're not going to have the opportunities, we're not going to have the open doors to share the gospel. So the first application for this first principle is simply to obey the Great Commission. And let's be a people who take it seriously, who do it. Let's, let's, let's do this word that we are going to be people who go. Now, I'm sure that some of you struggle with what I've struggled with, and that's being part of a Christian bubble. Your your family is Christian, and your church, you know, we're all Christians here. You're you're in a homeschool network, a Christian homeschool network, and you you do different activities with other Christians throughout the week, and you you just don't interact with unbelievers. And it's hard to, to know how to do that, but I would just encourage you, whatever you need to do, there's no excuses to not have relationships with unbelievers. There aren't any. I've had to come to grips with, if I don't have a relationship with unbelievers, not just, that doesn't mean I'm excused, it means I'm disobedient. We need to go, okay? We need to make disciples. God will give us opportunities as we obey. Now, the second principle is this, that's in verse 27, is the gospel is for all sorts of people. The gospel is for all sorts of people. Verse 27, Luke gives this description of this Ethiopian man, and, and this description is unique as far as the Bible goes. You know, in our stories today and, and books today, there's a lot of time spent telling us what this person looked like, you know, and, 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 and details about them. But in the Bible, they usually don't get any descriptions. We don't, we don't even know what Jesus looked like, right? But we get this description of who this Ethiopian was, that he was a eunuch, that he was a court official of Queen Candace, that he was in charge of her treasure. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship. We get this, this picture of who he is, and I think Luke's doing it because he wants to show us how different this guy was from Philip. I mean, this, this guy is as, as far away from Philip in every way as you can get. He, he was from the ends of the earth. He was, he was a eunuch. He wasn't allowed in the assembly to worship. He was high, high standing in, in his society. He was the treasurer of the queen, right? He, he had a chariot entourage wherever he went. And, and Philip was just a, a lowly apostle who had left everything to follow Christ. And, and he was just raised in Jerusalem as a Jew. And, and so they're, they're different, but you know, I wonder if, if this guy happened to be in Jerusalem, if Philip would have known I, I should give the gospel to that guy, if he would have overlooked him or not. Because what I think is that in our minds today, there are certain types of people that we see and we just comp- already discount them as people who might receive the gospel. That there are people that fit the type that, that we say, that, that's someone I could share the gospel. And there's other people we just don't consider. We, don't, we just don't consider them an option. So does, does that make sense to you? I know that I have done that. I've looked at someone and I just discount them as someone that could possibly receive the gospel. It's like a, you know, quarterback. Uh, this, this is the Redskins quarterback struggle with this this year, where he only had his eyes set on one receiver every play. Okay, and, and there's there's other guys open, and we intercept the ball. You know, and 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 that's what happens. You just have 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 your mindset on a certain type of person, and and, and you're missing the actual opportunities that are there. So. The, the whole point here is that the gospel is for all sorts of people, that there's no person that we interact with that, that might not receive the gospel. Anyone could. And, and in heaven, every type of person you can imagine is going to be there worshiping God. And, and every day we get a chance to be a part of that final day by, by sharing the gospel with anyone that the Lord brings us to interact with. Third principle is that God is preparing hearts for the gospel. God is preparing hearts for the gospel. Again, this is found in verses 27 and 28. And we already touched on it, that this guy, um, I mean, what would cause a high-standing 
high-standing official from Ethiopia to make the trip to Jerusalem. Well, why, why would he do that? It's, it's, I think it's because he was seeking, yeah. right? He, he, he wanted truth. There was, there was no, he had wealth, he had power, he had prestige. Why was he making this journey? Because he was seeking something. He had a hunger in him that, that he knew this wealth doesn't satisfy. This lifestyle that I, that I have does not satisfy me. So he was seeking. And when he went to Jerusalem, he went through the festivals and he went through the religious feasts. He obviously left still feeling empty. He didn't find what he was looking for. And so he's reading the scripture and he's looking. And, and God has primed the moment perfectly for Philip, right? The soil is already cultivated for Philip so that when he comes... He can just share the gospel, and, and the guy is ready to believe. You know, when, when we go on evangelism, I think we're that we, we forget that God might already be doing a work in this person's life. Yeah. I, mean, I guess we just assume that this person has just been in, in this static spiritual state. is completely unaware of anything. But, but the truth is that, that when we go knock on doors, when we go share with our coworkers, that there might be people, people who are primed by God for that moment, that are ready. You know, Jesus gave the parable of the, the soils and, and the seed, and he never says in that parable that we're the ones that are supposed to plow the ground. He just talks about different types of ground and that our job is just to throw the seed, right? It's because God is actually preparing the soil of people's hearts. God is doing it right now. And so our, our responsibility is to, is to trust that God is doing a work, to trust that, you know, if we're doing this outreach and we go up to a house on Friendship Road, to trust as we go up to that God might have already prepared this heart for the gospel. The soil might already be cultivated, and so I want to give the gospel to this person. Fourth principle, simple questions can open doors for the gospel. Simple questions can open doors for the gospel. You know, in verses 29 to 31, we, we read this interaction where, where the Spirit tells Philip to go over to join the chariot, and Philip runs, and he sees him reading, and what does he do? He asks him just a really basic question. Do you understand that? Does that make sense to you? And that just flings the door wide open for, for him to be sitting in the chariot with the Ethiopian, looking at Scripture and explaining the gospel to him. Just that one little question. You know, I think we, we think that it is so hard and intimidating to get to a point where we might be sharing the gospel with someone. But we have a great tool, and that's just to be people who are listening and who are asking questions. Okay, now... Um, I've had personal growth in this area the last few years. Um, I went from someone that didn't ask questions ever, okay? I, someone, you know, in Bible school, you get a lot of chances to um, get into spiritual conversations because people ask you, you know, what's your major? What school do you go to? We tell them, oh, Bible school, I'm going to be a pastor. And so right away, spiritual conversation, right? But I was really bad at taking the opportunities. I would just say that and just leave it there. And I kind of leave it in their court to ask me more. But, but now looking back, I know I could have said... Um, have you ever read the Bible? Just a simple question like that. I'm in Bible school. Have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever, do, you, do you know any pastors? You know, just, just any question that might be relevant that can lead and turn a conversation towards spiritual things. Now, I didn't ask those questions, and then, and then I went to asking the wrong questions, okay? Especially here in Alabama, uh, my, my go-to question at first was, do you go to church? Now, everybody goes to church down here, right? I mean, even if they don't go to church, they're going to say, I go, I go to this church, you know? And, and so right there, the conversation just stopped, you know? Do you go to church? Yeah. All right. Well, have a good day, you know? And that was basically it. That, I had like 20 interactions like that, okay? So, so I realized I needed, I needed to ask something different than that down here. Uh, might work in the north, but not in the south. And so um, I started asking some follow-up questions. I'm, I'm learning some follow-up questions to ask. And so now, do you go to church? Yeah. Well, what is your church like? What does your church believe? Did your church ever use the word gospel? What is the gospel? You just start asking questions. And, and, and people are going to respond. I mean, they're going to they're gonna tell you, and you can get into a spiritual conversation with someone. Okay? So ask questions. It's, it's, it's not as intimidating as it, as it feels to get into a conversation with someone about the gospel. Just ask questions and let, it, let the conversation go as it, as it may. The fifth principle is that misunderstood scripture does not save. Misunderstood scripture does not save. We see this really clearly in verses 30 to 34. I mean, this guy has Isaiah 53. He has his own copy of it. He can read it for himself, but he is as lost as someone that doesn't even have a Bible translated into their own language. Now, we believe that the word of God has power. We believe that, that the words in this book have inherent power to save. 
that the gospel is in here, and the gospel itself is the power of God, right? We believe that, but these words aren't, they don't work like magic, <laughs> okay? It's not that someone just, just reads um, John 3.16 and that, and that that verse might just magically transform their heart to be a Christian. That needs to be understood. Understood scripture saves. Misunderstood scripture does not. There's no power in misunderstood scripture. This guy needed someone to come and explain the gospel to him. Now, now I can qualify this by saying that someone might be reading the Bible. You know, someone might, might have an English translation of the Bible, read John 3.16, and the Holy Spirit might be working to show them what it means. And in that case, understood scripture would save them, right? But it's because it's understood and the Spirit did that. But if you read the New Testament, it's clear that, that the, God has chosen to save people mainly through other people explaining scripture, not, not through... Um, just isolated moments with someone with their Bible and the Holy Spirit doing a miraculous work that way. He's chosen to use people like he did here. He's chosen to use people to explain Scripture. Now, this is really relevant to us because everyone in our communities has Bibles. Everyone in our communities goes, goes to church. Everyone in our communities says they know who Jesus is, right? I mean, they, they'll tell you who Jesus is. They will even tell you what the cross is, and they'll tell you what Jesus did on the cross, and they'll say, and I know that if you believe in him, then you'll be saved from your sins and be in heaven with God forever. I mean, that's, that's a right answer, right? That's our community that we live in, but, but they don't understand it. They don't understand what they're saying. It, it's, it's like fairy tale language to them that they've learned to believe, and they've learned to re- rehearse and say, but they don't really know what they're talking about. And what we need to do is we need to take scripture to people, show them in scripture what this really means, because the only power that's in Scripture is when it's understood, okay? And as we do that, the Holy Spirit is doing a work in people's heart to give them understanding. If God is going to save them, then he's going to open their ears, and he's going to unblind their eyes to understand Scripture, so we can be confident of that. So let's understand our roles as explainers of Scripture. Now, in the church, there are different people who are gifted for teaching, and different people gifted for um, music, and for um, service and all and encouragement, mercy, all those things. But but when it comes to sharing the gospel, all of us are teachers, all of us are leaders, all of us are explainers of scripture. We all need to be equipped to do that. And I would say that if you're a Christian and you know the gospel, then you are equipped to explain scripture to an unbeliever. Okay, there are, there are ways to grow in that that we can talk about. But but understand that your role is to be someone that can explain the gospel to people from scripture. Now, the sixth principle is, is this. The gospel message is from the Bible. Now, I mean, this, is, this seems obvious to us, right, that the gospel message is from the Bible. It's in verses 32 to 35. But where does Philip get the good news that he gives to the eunuch? It says, beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news, that, that Philip was able to look at a passage of scripture and to show him from that scripture what the gospel was. Okay? Now, every single scripture in our Bible has the ability to do that in some way. Now, there might, like I said, there might be longer roads to get there from some passages, right? Leviticus 16 with laws about moles and stuff might be harder to get there, right? But, but there's a road from every passage to Jesus Christ because this, the, the scripture is one story. It's one story about about God and the gospel, and, and every passage falls into that story somewhere. And so we need to be equipped to take that story, to know that story, and, and to t- guide people from Scripture in that story, okay? And so uh, at this point, I want just to look at Isaiah 53. In this passage, I just want to look at verses 32 and 33, which is a quote from Isaiah 53, and to see what, what might Philip have said in this moment, okay? So, to verse 32, like a sheep... He was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. Now what might Philip have said from this scripture about the gospel in that moment? Well, he would have told him who he was, right? He would have said this, this, the he in this passage is someone named Jesus. Someone named Jesus who um, was born of a virgin and he was fully God, but he also... As God took on flesh, he, he, he humbled himself and became a man. And he would, he would explain who Jesus was to him, okay, from that passage. But then he would say, so, so we have Jesus, who I just explained, is, is God and man. And, and he did that. Why? He did it to go to the slaughter. 
for us. And he explained that like a sheep was led to the slaughter, that he opened not his mouth. This, this is a picture of Jesus willingly being led to the cross. And then when it reads, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. He'll be able to explain, you know, Jesus didn't deserve to die. That this, this son of God didn't deserve to die. He, he humbled himself and justice was denied him when he died. It was not a just death. It was an unjust death. And then who can describe a generation? He can explain that, that the Romans and the Jews, Gentiles and Jews, all took a part in this crucifixion and, and that this generation is a sinful generation, just like all of us are sinners. And he will explain that we're all sinners. Any one of us would have done this. We are all culpable for rejecting the Son of God. For his life is taken away from the earth. He could just explain that Jesus humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And anyone know why he did that? Why did he humble himself? Why did he come? Why did he let justice be denied him? Because in love, he wanted you to have grace. Because in love, he wanted you to be forgiven of your rejection of him. He wanted to take the punishment that you deserved for rejecting him onto himself. And then he would go on to explain the rest of the gospel. That if you trust in him, if you believe in him, if you confess that you are a sinner, that you are culpable before God, that you are under God's judgment and wrath, and that Christ took that on for you, you trust in that work, that you'll be saved. That, that, that you will be brought back to God. You can live a life re- in, reconciled in a relationship with the one who created you. He would describe all these things to him and, and, and even describe baptism to him. And, and that's how he explained the gospel. And, and today there might be some of you who don't trust this yet. You are who I just described, that you can, you can go through the gospel, you can explain the gospel to me, you can tell me who Jesus was, what he did, but, but you haven't yet personally come to terms with who Christ is. You haven't laid your life out and trust on him. And I encourage you today, even in a sermon that's on evangelism, to trust Christ to believe that he paid the punishment for your sins so that you could be reconciled to him and to God. Now the seventh principle is that the gospel requires a response. The gospel requires a response. In verses 36 and 38, we, we read about the baptism of the eunuch, that he wanted to be baptized. Now, baptism was his his response of faith to the gospel. It was his response to the message of the gospel. And I, I believe this, and I want to give my life to this. I, I want to be identified with Christ from now on till I die. You know, that, that was what his baptism symbolized. And, and I'm sure that when Philip gave the gospel, he included this component that you need to respond to this message. Now, there, there are certain truths in life that we don't we don't need much of a response to when they come to us. So, you know, they're the sins that we just intellectually assent to, and that's it. Such as, uh, this house is a historical landmark, okay? I mean, that, that's, that, could, that could be a true statement. You might be in a house and someone says, this house is a historical landmark. You say, I believe that, you know? The gospel's not that type of piece of information. Right. There is objective truth in it, but the, but the gospel is more like, this house is on fire right now, Okay? Yeah. I believe that. I mean, is that, is that enough? Yeah, that's, that's good. No, you, you, when you hear that message, and if you believe that message, you get out of the house, right? If you really believe it, you do something. That's what the gospel is like. The gospel is something that, that is the type of information that if you really believe it, then you must respond. Because it's a message that says you are caught in sin. It's a message that says you are under the wrath of God, that you are facing judgment. If you be- believe that, and you believe that Christ is the way, to, and you're going to repent. You're going to run from sin. You're going to run to God. You're going to live your life for God. You're going to entrust yourself to him. You're going to lay yourself out on him. The gospel requires a response. Now, we, we call people to pray the prayer, and we press people to make a decision. I mean, how many of you prayed the prayer? Right? I prayed the prayer, okay? I believe that God saved me in that moment when I prayed the prayer. But I believe that God... Um, is not saving many people when they pray the prayer. That there are many people who pray that prayer, and, and to them it's just a, another magical incantation that, that they think is going to save them. And then, and then the rest of their life, as they live in sin, they, they rely on that moment and say, well, I, I prayed the prayer. You know, I know I'm saved. I, I went up. I prayed the prayer. And, that, and that's our culture that we live in. And we need to tell people that that does not save you. So what saves you is giving your life to Christ, is losing your entire life for the sake of Christ, surrendering yourself to him, trusting in him, repenting of your sin, and living for him. 
That's what, that's what true faith looks like. So we need to call people to faith that expresses itself in action, that faith that expresses itself in obedience, and even in baptism. We want people, when they are saved, to be baptized because that is the expression and the identification of faith in Christ that Christ gave us. It, it, it is the sign of being in the new covenant with God's people and with Christ. And so we want people to be baptized even in this church this year. So, again, some of you need to ask yourselves, uh, you know, you might be able to rehearse the facts of the gospel, but have you run to Christ? Have you fled your sin? Are you, are you laying yourself out on what he's done for you? Have you truly responded to Christ, or, or do you just have an intellectual belief about Christ? You need to respond to him with your whole life. And as we go out and, and witness to people, we need to give that response, give that choice to people. You're going to respond with your whole life right now. Now, the eighth principle is that the gospel brings people joy. The gospel brings people joy. This is in verse 39. When they came by the water, the Spirit carried Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Apparently, whatever happened here, when, when, the, when he heard the gospel and believed that that produced joy in this Ethiopian man, he went on his way, and he had joy, okay? Now, our mission statement over here says, Redeemer Church exists to pursue the glory of God and the joy of all people. Okay? That, that, that's why we exist as a church, is to pursue that. God's glory and people's joy. Now, we would believe, based on the gospel, based on scripture, that no one truly has joy apart from Christ. There's, there's no true, lasting joy apart from Christ. And so if we are people that's, that's committed to that, that's committed to pursuing joy, then we have to be committed to sharing the gospel. If we're not sharing the gospel, that shows that we aren't really committed to people's joy. Does that make sense? If we're not sharing it, then we, then we aren't committed to their joy. We, don't, we, we aren't really seeking their happiness if we're not seeking to, to lead them to Christ. And so we want to do that. We want, we want to commit ourselves to bringing people to gospel for the sake of their joy. The ninth principle is wherever there is a Christian is where the gospel should be shared. Wherever there is a Christian is where the gospel should be shared. We see this in the last two verses. Philip is transported away to this other town, and what does he do? He starts preaching the gospel. He says, this is where I am. I guess this is where I should preach, right? Ethiopian does the same thing according to the tradition that he went. To Ethiopia, and he began preaching the gospel. This is where I am. I guess I should preach the gospel. Listen, Redeemer, Redeemer Church was planted a few years ago for a reason. Now, Candace and I came later in the process, but, but we've, we've had to think about this and realize why, why does this church, why is it here? You know, there were, for those of you that don't know that joined us later, that, that there were families from two churches, Anderson Bible Church and Grace Fellowship, that, that decided we're going to plant a church together. Those two churches came together and planted this church, and it wasn't because all these people were discontent in their churches. You know, it wasn't because they needed, they needed a new church for themselves, necessarily. It was because they wanted to share the gospel with more people. They wanted to expand their influence. This church exists today because of a desire to reach more people with the gospel. Now, we're in this community. God has given us this building right here. You know, whether you're part of ABC or, or Grace, we, we could have shared the gospel with our coworkers then and now. We could have shared the gospel with our neighbors then and now. Most of us haven't moved to locations or things like that. But none of us were in this building, in this neighborhood, before that church was planted. I believe that, that God giving us this building, giving it to us to purchase, means that he is calling us as a church. This is where we are, so the gospel should be shared right around here. This is where we should be sharing the gospel. This is the, this is the mission field God has placed Redeemer Church in. Every member of Redeemer Church should in some way be committed to getting the gospel to the people of Friendship Road community. That's why we're doing this outreach, because we, this church was planted for the sake of this community. This church was planted for the sake of these people hearing the gospel and being saved. And I'm sure that God has people in this neighborhood that he wants to save. He's calling us to be a part of that. So wherever God has placed us, let's be people who share the gospel in those places. And finally... Tenth principle, God is utterly sovereign in every individual salvation. God is utterly sovereign in every individual salvation. This passage, we see it, and we just say, man, God, God saved that person. All right, can anyone read this passage and say, this wasn't God saving this person? No, God, God saved the Ethiopian. But the thing is that this passage isn't given to us to show us um, that sometimes God works this way. This passage is a window into how God always works. 
God is always as sovereign as he is in this passage when it comes to saving people. He, he was that sovereign in your life. It might not have looked so miraculous, but he was this sovereign in your salvation. He chose you before he created the world. He determined the family you were born into. He determined the way you'd be raised, the circumstances that, that you'd be raised in. He sought you out. He prepared your heart to turn from your sin to Christ. He sent someone to you at a specific time in a specific place to give you the gospel. For me, I was four years old, and my grandma came, and she shared me the gospel, and I believed, and God saved me. might have been that way for you when you were a kid. It might have been later in life, but God sent someone to you, and he saved you. He engendered faith. He led you to repent, and now this God is calling you to join him in that work. He's calling you to be a coworker and the salvation of others. God is always sovereignly saving people. He is, he is involved and active and sovereign in every individual salvation. And you know, the only hope that we have that anyone will be saved is if God is sovereign. Yeah. If God's not sovereign, no one's going to be saved. Yeah, right. Listen to this quote from J.I. Packer. Were it not for the sovereign grace of God, evangelism would be the most futile and useless enterprise that the world has ever seen. There would be no more complete waste of time under the sun than to preach the Christian gospel. Again, if God is not sovereign. However clear and cogent we may be in describing the gospel, we can have no hope of convincing or converting anyone. Can you or I, by our earnest talking, break the power of Satan over man's life? No. Can you or I give life to the spiritually dead? No. Can we hope to convince sinners of the truth of the gospel by patient explanation? Can we hope to move men to obey the gospel by any words of entreaty that we may utter? No. When we evangelize, our trust must be in God who raises the dead. Every one of us was dead and now we're alive because God saved us. And everyone that ever comes to Christ was fully dead spiritually and God raised them to life. And what does this mean? What is the application? What is our response to this? Well, one, it's to go and share knowing that God's going to save people. But also means that we're going to be people who are devoted to prayer. We're going to be people who pray for God to save the lost. The knowledge that God is sovereign in grace and that we are impotent to win souls should make us pray and keep praying. There are two sides to the evangelistic commission. It is a commission not only to preach, but also to pray. Not only to talk to men about God, but also to talk to God about men. True evangelism, if we are truly devoted to expanding the gospel and we are going to be a people who are devoted to praying for the lost because God is the one who needs to save people. God is the one that's going to do it. Now, Ron, you can, you can make your way up here as we close. We're going to have a time to pray for this outreach next week. I, my vision for the sermon is not that we would only share through this outreach. I, I want us to be people who are sharing in our neighborhoods and, our, and our, with our coworkers and with our friends and family, but I also think we need to be people as a church who are committed to this neighborhood together and sharing the gospel there. And, and whether you can be involved in an event outreach like we're doing or not, if you can't, then be, you'd be someone that's devoted to praying for these people. And so we're going to have a time of prayer for them where we can take these principles and take this truth and, and join together and ask God to, to, to bless and to save.